Well, grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. We're in a series right now called Let's Go. And uh, it's, it's basically as we've been called to, to, to get up and go, uh, as we, we hear the voice of God, this is about mission work, this is about life as a Christian, this is where we need to roll next. And so the whole theme is let's go. Now, I did hear a story that took place back in 19, I think, let me check, 1964. Now, some of you maybe have heard the story, maybe not. It took place in an NFL football game with the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers. In the game, the 49ers had the ball. They fumbled the ball, but defensive end Jim Marshall, who was an outstanding player, picked up that fumbled ball, grabbed it, and he ran 66 yards into the end zone. The crowd went crazy. He took the ball and threw it in celebration, and they were cheering. But here's the thing. It was the 49ers fans that were cheering. He ran the wrong direction. He went into the other end zone, his own end zone. Oops, right? So here's the thing. It's important that we go, but let's make sure we're going in the right direction. And this morning's message could really be summed up right there in, that, in those few simple sentences. Um, last week, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, you may remember when Brian was up here preaching. And he preached on Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So if you can go ahead and go to that, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. He touched on a gentleman by the name of Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas. Um, known for being generous in more than just material things. He was general, generous with his encouragement, generous with, with, with uh, enough words that people like, we're going to nickname you Barnabas, son of encouragement. Uh, the Greek word that he used was parakletos, which is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit, which is to come alongside. I've got a buddy that lives up in Adrian, uh, Michigan. He actually has a tattoo along his side. It says parakletos. He wanted to remember that God's Spirit is always next to him, and I thought, that's great, uh, but I'm I won't go that far to put it on me. Maybe I'll use a Sharpie or something. But uh, what a beautiful picture and a reminder that He's right there. Well, wouldn't you like to have that kind of a name? And that, that's what Barnabas had, or Joseph, as his real name is. But let's pick up, I want to pick up right where Brian was with that in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, All the believers were gathered, uh, united in heart and mind. They felt that what they had and what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy person among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them, and they'd bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Isn't that, I mean, it's incredible. Now, this actually, if you're listening, this is like, wait, didn't we hear this in Acts chapter 2? You did, because the church is growing. It just got started. It's incredible, the generosity, the love that's being shown. And now we come to Acts chapter 4, and it's still happening. Actually, it's growing even more. And now we get an example, which again, Brian referred to, from Acts chapter 4, verse 36, where it says this. For instance, there was Joseph. Oh, wait, you don't know Joseph. Again, then right, then right behind it says, the one nicknamed Barnabas, son of encouragement. Ah, yeah, Barnabas. He was from the tribe of Levi, came from the island of Cyprus. Important to know that. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Why is it important to know that he's from Cyprus? He's not from Jerusalem. That's where they're all at. They're all gathered. They're excited. The church is growing. He's from Cyprus. He sold his property far, far away, took that money, brought it all, and just gave it all. Said, who needs help here, Christians, Right? And he helps them. 
Now, this growth is exciting. It's a lot of fun. But now we have a problem, okay? You knew it was going to happen, right? Every time there's something good happening, somebody always brings the bad news. Turn the page or maybe right below it. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But there's a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was a full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, re- repeat after me. Part. I'll try it again. Part. Full. Full. Listen to Scripture again. They sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full. Is there a difference between part and full? Yes. Just ask anybody when you, uh, you order a drink or you order a pizza, and if they bring you half a pizza or they bring you a full pizza, you know the difference between part and full, right? This is what's going on here. I'm giving you everything. He was only giving part of it. Not good. I mean, this couple belonged to the church. They, they were part of the excitement. And, and for some odd reason, they decided to cheat a little bit, to lie or whatever. I don't know why they did this. Maybe they saw what was going on and like, there's so much excitement in the church right now. Did you see what Joseph did? Joseph got a nickname. They call him Barnabas now, son of encouragement. I want a nickname. Hey, how about we sell the property and maybe we'll get a nickname too. Let's look good. Or, or maybe just the Holy Spirit was coming upon them and they're like, we need to do this. Again, what was the motive? Not sure. But here's what happened. They sold the property and they said, we're going to give money to the church. But they did. They gave part of it, but they claimed it was all of it. It was the full amount, implying that they were looking really good here. What was their motive? I shared a couple right there with you. But here's the thing. We don't know Ananias and Sapphira personally. We didn't live back in that day. So we can't sit down with them and say, so what were you thinking? Why did you do this? We don't know. We can only make assumptions. We can guess, right? Maybe, uh, again, they wanted the respect. Maybe they wanted to be a nickname. They wanted to like Barnabas. Maybe they, they wanted some attention. Maybe they just want to look good. It's all about the image. Look what we did, you know, pat ourselves on the back, right? Or, or maybe, as I said, maybe the Spirit of God really did say to them, you need to sell your stuff and give it to the church. And they're like, we need to do it. But possibly they do that, and then all of a sudden it's like, we got a lot of money. More than the price we thought. We thought we were going to get this, and we got that. So how about we just give this to God, and we'll give this part. We'll just keep that part for us. Nobody will ever know because it's so much. Again, we, we don't know the details as to why they did what they did. But at some point in time, they decided for themselves that it's like, we're just going to keep some of it, but tell everybody we gave it all. Just when we thought the church was on the move, right? Let's go. Church is growing. It's exciting. Everybody wants to be a part of it. And then we get to this. Maybe we just, okay, you know what? Here's the problem. Maybe we just need to stop for a moment and realize this. Careful, brace yourselves. Hold on your seats. The church isn't perfect. Oh, shocker. I know, right? The church is just not perfect. You know, even though Acts 2, Acts 4 record how incredibly powerful the church was. The amazing things that were going on. 
the, the, the spiritual growth, the praying, the, the seeking God's word, the living generously. But here's the thing. They're not perfect. They're not. You, I think we can understand this because mankind, mankind is not perfect. When you bring a bunch of people into a church building, you know you have a cluster of imperfect people trying to serve a perfect God. That's just the way it is. We're not perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. And if you're in here and you claim to be perfect, guess what? You are imperfect by the fact that you're making that claim. You know, often we will have people come to this church. Um, it's our first time. Some of you have just started coming to this church in the last year, maybe the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe you've been coming for a couple of years. At some point in time, you came to this church and you sat in here and you felt like, you know what? This church is for me. I like it here. Maybe it was the music, maybe it was the sermon, maybe it was the atmosphere. Maybe you could just feel the Spirit of God at work here. Something drew you in and has kept you here, and you're like, Moe, I, I can't explain it, I'm just glad I'm here. And then eventually, for some of you, like, I want to be a member of this church, I want to join this church. And so you're like, where do I sign up? How do I sign up? How do I become a member? I want to get baptized, I want my kids to be dedicated. I, want to, I just want everything about this church. And that's exciting, right? That's Acts 2, that's Acts 4 going on. But then maybe at some point, I don't know what happens, but at some point it's like, eh, I'm not going to go anymore. Well, I thought it was the perfect church, right? Why, why are you not coming anymore? You know, why, you know why some people stop coming? They found out, I'll tell you now in case you don't want to come back next week, okay? They found out this isn't a perfect church. And they stopped coming. So if you're here this week thinking it's a perfect church and I don't see you next week, fully understand, okay? You just found out this was not the perfect church. Um, so again, I'll, I'll be the first to proclaim that as the pastor, as the shepherd of this church. Not the perfect church. We're not going to fit your every need. I'm sorry, I am not your typical pastor that maybe you grew up that does the house calls and hospital visits and, and washes your feet and pours oil over you. I don't know uh, what you expect from your senior pastor, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'll probably let you down on a couple times. Uh, pastor Dave, there's going to be things about Pastor Dave you may not like. There's going to be things maybe about the church building you may not like. You're, you're going to find imperfections here. And there's no apologies for it. We're, this is just who we are. We're simple people who love God and we want to pursue him with everything we got. That, that's what we want. Charles Spurgeon once said, hey, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. All right? I was like, that's a great quote, right? So church, we're not praying to be perfect. What we're praying is to be faithful and, and obedient to a God that we love. That's the kind of church we want to be. So what did Ananias and Sapphira do? Let's, let's review this again. They pretended to give everything to the church or all of it to the church, but they held some back for themselves. The word is kept back. And that, that Greek, that ancient word that's used there is only used like a couple times in Scripture. Three times, actually. Uh, and it means to embezzle. It means to, to withdraw secretly and keep for yourself. It, the word shoplifting actually popped up, too, when I was looking at this up. Uh, but the only other time it's used in the New Testament is in Titus chapter 2, where it's meant for stealing. The other time it's used in ancient, uh, the ancient Greek in, for, in the Old Testament translation, which is written in Hebrew, 
um, is in the book of Joshua chapter 7. So I'm actually going to say, let's go to Joshua 7 because I want you to see this situation. It's a pretty unique thing. This is one of those passages. Acts 5 and Joshua 7 are two passages a lot of Christians don't want to talk about. Okay, Every now and then we'll do that. We'll pull out a scripture that nobody wants to talk about and I'll talk about it and I'll, I'll try to tread as lightly as possible uh, and awkwardly as much as, as at least, least amount as I can. And we'll see what we can discover here. But in Joshua 7, if you're unfamiliar with it, um, let me give you a quick summary. The nation of Israel is just getting started. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're just getting started following God. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. They cross the Jordan River. They're going into the promised land, this new land that God's promised them. This is all your land. Just take charge of it. Remove some of these other uh, unholy, ungodly, evil nations. Get them out of there. And this is your land. So they're doing that one by one. You get to Joshua 7, and they come across this small town called Ai. Now, the assessment is, is that they can take their army of, let's say, a small number, 3,000 soldiers, go in and wipe out Ai, and they should be able to come right in. The problem is they marched in and got chased out, and a lot of people died in the retreat. They were easily defeated, um, sorry, easily defeated, soundly defeated. And suddenly the Israelites, the children of God, are paralyzed with fear and incredibly discouraged. They, they don't understand. It's like, we thought we're the children of God. We should be victorious. We just got defeated. Joshua and the elders of the church, of the tribe at that time, they basically went before God in the temple. They tore their clothing. They poured ashes upon themselves. They did that all through the day. And then finally at night, they spoke to God. Verse 7 says this of chapter 7. Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Wah, wah, wah. Right? It's like, I'm following you, God, and you had one defeat in your life. It's like, I should have just stayed home. I should have just never joined a team. Right? It's almost like he's got the whiny voice going on. And I love how God responds to him. God tells Joshua, starting in verse 10, get up. I love that. God's like, quit whining. Instead, he does it in a positive way. Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel sinned. He's broken my covenant. So God's like, you want to know why you lost? Let me fill you in. They've stolen some of the things that I commanded that must be set apart for me. For they've not only stolen them, but they've lied about it, and they hid those things among their own belongings. There's the same word that's going to be used for Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 12. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. From now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. See, God gave his people instructions. You just got to be obedient. You're going to love God. You're going to follow God. You got to obey God. So they were supposed to go in, defeat these cities, destroy everything. But for some reason, there was a certain gentleman who's like, ah, but there's some pretty cool robes and, and silver and, and other shiny things. And I'm going to take it for myself and just hide it in my tent, bury it. Nobody will ever know. God saw it. You know, we can maybe hide things from each other really well, but God sees it. And he saw this. And because of that, there was judgment. God gave uh, Joshua instructions on basically how to find the one who broke the commands. Look at verse 15. It says this, The one who has stolen... 
What was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has for he's broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. God's like, I'm bringing my judgment. Church, listen very carefully for this. God is serious about sin. He's very serious about sin. Remember, he is a high and holy God. We've sung a lot of songs this morning, but the last one we sang, holy, holy, holy. There is no other God like our God. The God of the Bible that we worship, the God that we read about right here, holy set apart. No sin in him. Sin cannot even be near him. Sin cannot be in his presence. So he wants us to be with him, though. So to be with him, we have to be free of that. We have to be holy. We have to be set apart. And so when we mess up, guess what? We deserve to be punished. That's just the way it is. Nobody likes to be punished. Nobody wants to get in trouble. But the fact is, we can't measure up to God's holiness. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he paid the punishment so that we could have a relationship with God. We could be reconciled back into that relationship. So we read that early the very next morning, Joshua pulled the, the, uh, the whole camp together and he said, first of all, let's get the right tribe. So they got the right tribe, the tribe of Judah. Then they said, okay, now let's get the right clan. And they narrowed it down to which clan. And then they said, out of here, let's get the right family. And they pulled out the family and they narrowed it down in verse 19. Achan was singled out. Achan, uh, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, It's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. They ran out to the tent. They found the stolen goods just like he had confessed. And because of his sin, that's why Israel was defeated. Basically, all it took was for one person to cause the progress of victory to come to a halt and for the rest of the nation to be affected. That day, unfortunately, Achan was judged by God. He was put to death. And it sounds so harsh, right? Absolutely. As people of God, they were just getting started. And God had made it very clear. It's like, listen, you need to take sin seriously. Here's my nation. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be like this holy God. You're going to follow a holy God. You too must be holy. And this person right here says, I don't want to be holy. I'm going to do my own thing. God says, then you can't be a part of it. Boom, judgment comes. And we think that's harsh. But if, again, who are we to tell God what he can do and not do? God's making it very clear that his people must take sin seriously. What we discover in both accounts here from Joshua 7 and then Acts chapter 5 is that the sinful act of deceit interrupts the progress of victory in the church with the people of God. So again, where does this wrong motive come? How did this come to, to Ananias and Sapphira? What happened here? Go back to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 3. We'll put it up on the screen. It says here, then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. See, Peter made it very clear. It's like, you could do whatever you want to do with your property. There's nothing written in the Holy Scriptures. No scrolls were unrolled like this is how you sell property. You can sell whatever property you want to sell. You can give as much as you want to give to God. That, that's totally up to you. But here's the thing. 
you said you gave the full amount, but you only gave part of it because in your heart there was some deceit, there was some greed, there was some, I don't know, desire to have this incredible image in front of everybody else. And for that, that is a sin. And Peter saw that Satan was at work. Even a man like Ananias, he was part of the church. Satan can infiltrate anywhere he wants if he tries really hard, right? Because all it takes is for a Christian just to disengage from being involved. All it takes is for a Christian to say, yeah, I don't want to do this church thing anymore, or I'm not going to be, what did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if I'm unplugging and I'm not participating and growing in my faith, guess what I'm doing? I'm leaving the door wide open for Satan to come in and infiltrate into my life. But let's make sure we understand a few things here about Satan, okay? I want to make sure you guys understand who your adversary is. First of all, he is not God. What I mean by that is this. He is not omnipresent, omniscient, Okay, he, on the, he's not everywhere. He can only be, he's a created being. He can only be one place. He's not all knowing and he's not all powerful. Is he powerful? Yes. Is he deceitful? Absolutely. He's been around for centuries. Listen, you can hang around people long enough. You can pick up on things on certain people. You know how they're gonna act, how they're gonna react to things. You know how to push their buttons, right? Guess what? he's been around for centuries. Do you think he knows people? Oh, too well. He knows what's gonna tempt you. He, all he's got to do is observe you long enough to know what's going to get you down, right? He's got these little minions. He's got these, these uh, demons that work for him, right? But do not give him more credit than he deserves. He is not God. He's not all-knowing, all-powerful. He is not everywhere. He's limited. But Peter understands how dangerous he could be. First Peter 1.8, Peter said, uh, he said this, Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He understood that. So when Peter, think about this, when Peter said this to Ananias, Ananias I, I'm going to guess Peter's heart was probably a little crushed. He's excited about the growth of the church, and now he's got, a, he's got a part of the church, a member of his church standing in front of him, and he's like, man, why did you do this? Satan has just infiltrated your heart. You made a bad choice. And, and think about Ananias. He shows up that day thinking, Peter wants to see me. I've I'm going to get a nickname. I'm going to be like Joseph. I'm going to be, I wonder what I'm going to be called. Ananias the awesome. I don't know. It's going to be something fun, right? And he gets in there, and first thing Peter says, how could you let Satan infiltrate your heart? Ananias is probably crushed, right? He's like, oh. And Peter's like, I can't believe you're letting this happen, right? So there's conversation going on here. And, and basically what happens next then is some judgment. He explains to him what, what happened. And in a few minutes, he's going to be falling over dead, right? Now, again, like I said, this is a tough passage to preach on. Why? Because there's a lot of people, and there might be somebody in here this morning, that's one of the first thoughts you might have had when you hear this passage is, wow, God is mean. Or that is so unfair. I, it's possible that some of you may have had a thought. That's a typical argument with a lot of people who have not placed their faith in Christ. They think God is mean. This God is such a, a, a vicious and violent thing. Listen, if you were God, what would you do in this situation? You probably can't answer that. One, because we're not God, okay? But God's creator of all. We are his creation. Since when can the creation tell the creator what to do? He's the creator. We have no right or place to tell God how he should do things and things that are evil and gross to him, things that cannot be in his sight. He created us. He gave us boundaries. He knows better. 
we may think, you know what? Here's another thing. We may think, I'm nothing like Ananias and Sapphira. I would never do that, right? But yet, sometimes sin is initiated in a lot of different ways. We can sometimes create or allow the impression to make other people think we're more spiritual than we are. Oh, I'm going to that Bible study and people are going to think, I really know my word. Oh, I'm going to pray really strong and people are going to think, I'm a strong prayer warrior. Oh, I'm going to talk about how often I go to church or how I serve or how I give. And the whole thing is this. We're trying to exaggerate our spiritual accomplishments or effectiveness to appear to be somebody we're not. It happens. It happens. And that's what was happening here. Look at verse 3. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and buried him. Church, the effects of sin are deadly. Bottom line, they're just deadly. Remember, sin opposes and offends our holy God. It infects the church, and when it does, it creates disorder in the church, and it must be removed. Listen, there's always judgment for sin. There's always going to be judgment for sin. In this moment, it happened a little bit quicker for Ananias than he expected. Peter did not, by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, what about Peter? Peter didn't pronounce the judgment death or the death of Ananias. Peter just, how could you do this? And he fell in front of Peter. Do you think Peter's a little shocked? I'm thinking so. He wasn't expecting that. He's like, how could you let Satan do this? Oh, boy. Um, you're serious about this, aren't you? I, I, don't, I don't know how it went down, but I'm guessing Peter was probably in a little bit of shock. Unless, unless the spirit told him ahead of time, like, you might want to have some guys at the door with a, something to carry him out. But he simply confronted him. And, and here's the thing. Uh, it isn't the business of the church to pronounce a death sentence on anyone, by the way. It's not our job as a church to sit here and tell you this is what's going to happen to you because of your sin. That's, that's, that's God's department. Peter was probably more surprised than anybody else, right? Look at verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in. I have no idea where she was, what she was doing, but she had no clue what was going on. Verse 8, Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, it was. That's the price. And Peter said, and how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they're going to carry you out. She hits the ground. What? Yeah. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Wow. What a harsh penalty for what seems to be a common sin that we see that today, right? Some wonder if God was, you know, a little too excessive here with Ananias. You know what? Maybe the greater question is, is, or the wonder is that God delays his righteous judgment for virtually all the things that are going on today. Because really, if he should judge the way he judges here, there'd be hearses parked outside every church, right? He reserved, Ananias received exactly what he deserved. He just, you cannot live in the atmosphere of purity if you're going to be infected. Like Achan, the sin of the one who's going to affect, you know, it's like that situation in Joshua 7. If there's something that's infecting the body, let's get it out before the rest of the body is infected. Right? And that's how God looked in this moment. The church was just starting in Acts. The, the nation of Israel was just starting in Joshua. And as they're starting out to be this holy nation, God's like, I can't have unholiness if we're going to get this started and get it done correctly. 
and he removes it. God was taking care of evil before it would spread and destroy the church. If God would have let this sin go, my guess is Acts would be a very short book and there'd be a lot of those other following books from Paul and Peter that would probably not be written today had this continued. I don't know about you, but there's moments when I, I'm so thankful that God does not deal with sin today the way he dealt with it there. Because again, I probably wouldn't be here, right? Look at verse 11. We read that great fear came upon all those who heard these things. God's purpose was accomplished. You say, how so? The church woke up. The church woke up and realized we need to stop messing with sin. We, we need to stop messing around. Now put this in a modern day context. If this would happen today, then we'd probably have a committee to, to sort of you know, cover up whatever happened. We don't want the church to know some, some horrible sin took place. Don't let it get out in public, right? We don't want that to, to go on. Listen, we may question what God did here, but what if God allows sin to continue? More would be led away from God to hell, right? Less would be going to heaven. Sin always destroys. And sometimes today, it's not that we look at sin and say we shouldn't do that. We look at sin and we say, well, it wasn't that bad. We say we love God, but yet sometimes we align ourselves up with this world and it's time that the church wakes up and stops aligning itself with the world. Let me give you an example. In November, there's going to be an issue on a ballot regarding abortion. Now, you've heard me preach on abortion and the sanctity of life. What I've grown to understand, I went to a meeting this past week with about I don't know, 15, 20 other pastors uh, to find out more about this bill and what's going on and, and that in uh, August there's going to be another ballot issue, just one I believe, and that is to change the vote from 50% to 60% because in November the ballot is, if this, is, uh, ballot, if this issue is signed yes, basically you can have an abortion up to nine months. So right before that baby's born, if you want to kill it, you can according to the law if it passes in November. All it takes is a 51% vote right now. In August, there's going to be a ballot to say, let's change that to 60%. Why is that important? Because about what the stat I, was, I received was 50% of Ohioans right now have a, oh, I'm okay with abortion to a certain point, okay? So that's 57%. Well, let's say 51% of them say yes in November. We're in trouble. So if we can get that to 60%, that's great. Now you say, what else? Well, it's sort of like this. Let's say a 22-year-old messes around with a 14-year-old. 14-year-old gets pregnant. And that, that, with this new bill, that 14-year-old without parental consent can go ahead and uh, have an abortion. And that 20-year-old, that whatever, that, that did this, um, they get off scot-free. There's no pressing charges or anything. There's nothing wrong there with that at all. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not okay with killing babies. Okay? I'm not. And the church at some point in time has got to stand up and say, I'm not aligning myself with this world. Now, I understand they're, they're, they're going to hide it with certain wording talking about it's women's rights. What they're not going to tell you is all the other stuff that's going to come with that. Okay? I'm not okay with ending the life of a baby. And the church better wake up and not align itself. This is when I, when I look at what the judgment that God brings here in this moment, I'm thinking, what judgment does the church deserve right now? for aligning itself with certain issues and topics. And it's not a political thing, by the way. Can I tell you this? It's not a political thing. Before there was ever a, a United States of America, there was a God who created mankind, man and woman, and created babies and gave them value. 
that was long before the United States was ever established, so it's not a political issue. People have just made it one. So in my opinion, it's okay to talk about this and say, there's no politics involved here. This is just simple moral ethics, but we found it all based on God's true word. So church, I just want to encourage you and help you understand God has protected the church. He's trying to protect the church from the outside, but we got to be careful too because God also wants to protect the church from the inside. So do not be alarmed. He stirs your heart saying, I need to confess this sin. I need to confess this sin. You know what? He's dealing with you right now in a, in a way I would rather be dealing with that than carrying you out. He's trying to take care of you. So if he's pumping at your heart right now saying, you need to take care of something in your life, take care of it. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, we may question God's depth of, of punishment of sin. You know, maybe, it's, maybe some of us thought, you know what, why don't we just give Ananias and Sapphira a time out? Just put them in time out. Let them think about it for a while. Or we could have said, hey, how about you go ahead and take that portion of money that you kept and then give it all to the church like you said you were going to do. How about you do that? You know, it seems like there could have been a different way, but here's the thing. I understand this. Some of you probably don't know these words. Um, paddle, belt, switch. Not switch, gaming switch, okay? But, okay, growing up, I understood what it meant when I got in trouble. Four brothers, one sister, six of us kids. I was the youngest. So I watched my older siblings get in trouble, and I was like, I do not want to get in trouble. Right? But there was one time I remember I did get in trouble big time, Okay? And I remember the belt coming off. And I remember, yeah. Um, today we say, oh, that's cruel. No, actually, that was called discipline. And that discipline sharpened me as a, as a human being, as a person, as to, as to what is right, what is wrong, how I should be taking care of. Okay, another subject, I'm going off, sorry. But here's the thing. There are certain things now today as a result of that, because I was disciplined today, back it up. Because I was disciplined, even in third grade, my, my mom reminds me of this, or somebody reminded me of this. Uh, there was a paper that said, what are some things that you don't like? I wrote down green beans and getting in trouble, okay? I like green beans today, okay? But the getting in trouble, not so much. But at a young age, all of a sudden I learned, you know what? I do not want to get in trouble. How did I learn that? Because I was being disciplined. A lot of times God wants to discipline us. Why? Because he wants us to live these obedient lives. He wants us to pursue him and follow him. Maybe we need to get to a point where we really do fear God and we're not there. And a story like this is not make you make afraid of God, but to recognize his holiness and to be living in awe of him. He is holy. And maybe we've forgotten the holy fear of God, to respect God, to be in awe of God. And I think before the church can experience any kind of spiritual growth, we have to have this respect, this awe, and this fear of a holy God. Today, a lot of Christians are compromising. Their greatest fear is not sinning, but getting caught. We assume there's always time to repent, but we don't know. So church, I wanna, during this prayer, give you the opportunity and the time. If you need to repent, you need to ask forgiveness, ask forgiveness, seek him. I know it's sort of a heavy message, um, but church, we gotta preach the truth here. We always do. And you may have missed it, so let me read it to you. Would you stand with me? This, we started with the call to worship. Mike was up here and you read the call to worship to you. Now, after hearing the sermon, I want to read the call to worship to you again to see if what he said rings a little bit louder. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. 
and that you live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it belong to the Lord, your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts. Stop being stubborn, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's the great God, mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. You as a holy God want us to be in your presence, but we can't if there's sin in our life. So God, we seek you and we ask for forgiveness of our sins. And you are so gracious and full of mercy that you forgive us of our sins. And we say thank you for that. But God, right now in this church, I pray that if somebody's struggling right now with a certain sin and they just keep battling and battling and battling, God, I pray that they surrender that sin. I pray that they ask for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that we get rid of that sin because God, we do not want a church that's stagnant. We want a growing church. We want a church that's victorious, not defeated. But God, to be that kind of church, we have to pursue you, be obedient with you. And if there's sin in our life, God, forgive us. God, help us not to be okay with lining up with the world, what the world says is okay or not okay. The world is not our standard. Your word is our standard. So Heavenly Father, I pray for this church. Right now, where we're standing, Lord, seek our hearts. Search them, Lord. We confess to you our shortcomings. We confess to you our mistakes confess our sins to you. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of how we've used our mouths in a way that have hurt other people. Forgive us for how maybe we've manipulated people into doing things they shouldn't do. Maybe we've taken things we should not have taken that we do not have or own or possess. Maybe we've hurt somebody physically, emotionally. God, forgive us. Maybe we have chosen one too many times to side with this world and nobody would ever guess that we are a child of God. Forgive us. Cleanse us, Lord. You are holy. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for forgiving us. Thank you for setting this church apart. In thy name we pray, amen.